Good morning. Happy Father's Day. I love singing that song. Every time I sing about, I sing it, I, I think of my little daughter. She's, she just turned two, and uh, she sings that song, and she just looks so beautiful, and it's just so awesome to see a little girl like that just singing to God. And, and, and I love the words, too, but just, like, I stand there, and I just get, like, moved because uh, it's, it's a great song. And I just think of her, and I just want her to be that close to God her entire life. It's not as fathers, those of you that have daughters, it's like this, like, boom. This, like, this burden of responsibility that we have um, has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today, but, but just a little fatherly uh, burden to share with you guys. This morning, about 4.11 a.m., I got a phone call from Pastor Bob, and uh, I freaked out. Um, I, I was so nervous that I couldn't even hold my phone. I, I dropped it. I, I missed the call. Because um, if you get a call from Bob at about 4 a.m., something bad just happened. I mean, I thought somebody was dead. I thought something blew up. Or aliens have inv- had invaded the, the earth. I mean, I thought something bad had happened. And, and, and I call back. And, and when I call back, Bob doesn't even answer the phone. A woman answers the phone. And I didn't recognize the voice um, that early in the morning. And I'm like, hello? And, and, and it's, hi, Mark, this is Carrie. And I'm like, oh, no. And uh, she's like, uh, Bob is in the bathroom throwing up. He's sick. He's been sick all night. He thought he was going to get better, but he needs you to teach. And so here I stand today. Um, I didn't care that I only had a few hours to prepare to teach today. I was just glad that no one was dead and that there were no aliens anywhere. And, uh, and there's nothing like getting home from a seven-day vacation than getting a call from your boss's wife at 4 a.m. and hearing that you need to preach in a few hours uh, but my vacation was awesome. Nothing out of this world. Spent seven days in the Keys in uh, my father-in-law's trailer. Um, but, hey, the trailer life. I was trailer fabulous for seven days. It was awesome. And my favorite part about the whole vacation was Friday morning. You see, we had been preparing for this moment that we were going to experience or that we experienced on Friday for a year. All right? We went on a snorkeling trip on a boat. With our kids. You see, both of my boys, they're four and six, and they're great swimmers. Ever uh, from the age of one, they've been taking swimming lessons. And, and Stella, who just turned two last Saturday, um, here's a picture of her key's birthday. There's a yellow tail on the table with a, with, a fla- with a candle on it. And then I ate the yellow tail after they cooked it, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, even she's been swimming since she was one. She's not a great swimmer, but she knows how to survive. And tomorrow she starts her second year of swimming lessons. And so, you know, if you know my wife and I were big into the ocean and swimming and, and doing all this stuff. I mean, I'm not Michael Phelps or anything or claiming to be, but, but we just like, you know, the beach life and stuff. And so um, uh, last summer I bought my boys a mask, snorkel, fins, and, and we went to a pool. And I taught them how to use the snorkel and stuff. And, and they loved it. You know, once they learned how to do it in the pool, I took them to the beach. And, and every single time we went to the beach, you know, they want their snorkels and their goggles. And they're snorkeling the whole time, you know. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. And we did that for about a year. And on Friday, we jumped on the boat. And everybody was excited. And we're, we're driving over to the reef in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean in this boat. I have a picture of me and Caleb on the boat. Super excited to get to the, to the reef. And uh, when we get there, we put our gear on. We're getting ready to jump off the boat. And this is kind of like how you jump off the boat. It's just the back of the boat in the middle of the great blue sea. And, uh, and I jump in. And uh, my son, Josh, he jumps in. He's a little scared. He's holding on to me. And Caleb jumps in. And he freaks out. He panics. 
All right? He's like, it's too cold. And he was so scared, his nerves. And he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. He starts crying. And I'm like, come on, buddy. It's going to be okay. Just relax. And he's like, no, 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 no. Put me back on the boat. And so I, I put him back on the boat. And, and he stayed on the boat with his mom. And I'm like, all right. And so I went for like 15, 20 minutes to the reef. And, and uh, we're, we're, I'm seeing all these beautiful fish and, and this giant brain coral and all this stuff. And, and all I could think about while, while I'm seeing all this beauty is like, man, I wish Caleb was here. I wish he could see this. Because you see, there's something you probably don't know about Caleb is that he loves the ocean. One of the, his favorite things to watch is like the movie Oceans, that Disney movie Oceans. is amazing. If you haven't seen it, watch it. All right? And, and he loves watching Animal Planet. He knows more about the sea and fish and the names of things than I do. And all I can think about is if my son would be able to enjoy this. And so I swam back to the boat and... Um, I'm like, come on, Caleb. I'm like, Joshy, tell him it was okay. And Joshy's only four. You know, he's, I'm like, Joshy's smaller than you, and he's here. It was okay. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. And so I got on the boat, and I told my wife, honey, go snorkel with Josh. I'll stay here with Caleb. And, and after a couple minutes, I convinced him. I convinced him. I'm like, hey, buddy, let's do it. Let's do it. And he's like, all right, all right, papi, but, but uh, can you carry me until we get to the reef? And, and like, you know, he wanted to ride my back, you know, kind of like how the people do to the killer whales in the Miami Seaquarium. And so I'm not going to lie. I felt a little like Lolita on our way to the reef. And uh, when we approach the reef, he starts freaking out again. All right. And, and, and he hasn't looked at the water, nothing. He's been above the water holding on to me, you know, kind of like holding the back of the, the whatever that dorsal fin and, um, and uh, he's looking, and, and he starts freaking out, panicking even worse. The kid's trembling. He's like, take me back to the boat. And now the boat's, like, super far, all right? And, uh, and I'm like, buddy, we're here. We're at the reef. There's fish everywhere. This is what you wanted. You love this. I'm like, just look. Because I knew if he would just look, and this isn't a scientific thing. I'm not a professional at all and panicking and stuff. I'm like, but, but I just thought if he could just see this. He would love it. He'd like it. And he's like, no, no, take me back. Take me back. I'm like, just look for a second, and then I'll take you back. He's like, do you promise? If I look for one second, you'll take me back? And I'm like, yes. He goes, are you sure? And it's not like I've ever tricked him before or anything. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm like, all right. And, and he's like, I'm going to do it for one second, Poppy, just one second. And he put his face in the water. And when he saw this and much more, when he saw all these fish everywhere, he just like relaxed. He looked up, took a snorkel out and said, let go of me. And he started swimming. And now I'm trying to keep up with him as he's, he's watching everything that God created for him. I mean, this amazing, beautiful reef I, in the United States. I don't know if you know this. The only living reef is right here in Florida. All right. And so he's looking at all this. I'm trying to catch up with him. And he was able to enjoy this because he trusted me. In the midst of this panic attack, I mean, this was like intense. Like I thought the kid was going to drown. I thought I was going to drown because he's like shaking and shivering in the middle of the ocean. And, uh, and he trusted his dad. He was ready to give up. But in that little moment, he trusted his dad and he was able to enjoy what his heavenly father had created for him to enjoy. You see, how many times have we been in a situation, whatever it may be, and we were ready to throw the towel in. We were ready to give up. Maybe for you, it was a difficult situation in your family. And you're going through this difficulty in your life and you are ready to give up. Or maybe you have given up. 
Maybe for some of you, it's a financial situation and you're saying, God, why me? Why is this happening to me right now? Maybe it's something that you're going through with your family and you're like, man, I've done everything right. Why is this happening to me and why now? You see, in moments in life when we're confronted with a difficult, an adverse situation, many times we're right there. The the victory is right there. Caleb was above the reef. He was ready to see what he had been waiting for for a year. And he was ready to give up. Again, he's six years old. But how many of us here, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, 60 years old, giving up in life? And the reward, what God wants us to enjoy is just right there. You see, we've all had moments like this in our lives. Moments when we have given up. How many of us in this room, and you don't have to raise your hand, have ever wondered, God, why is this happening to me? And that's what we're going to talk about today. As we continue in our study in this series called Becoming. If you'd go with me to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If you stop there, give me your attention. Wow, let me tell you. Now, this is something to be excited about. The Apostle Paul is telling us here, he's telling you, he's telling me that you have been justified. And what does that mean? You have been made right. You were wrong, and now you have been made right. All of your mistakes, all of your shame are washed away, and you have peace with God. Not only do we have peace with God, now we have access to God through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I grew up going to a church and a school that handed out these like baseball card looking things with old men wearing robes and and little halos above their head. And and if you had a problem, you'd pull out the right card and you'd turn it around and you'd pray this little prayer. And supposedly the old man or the old woman on the picture would talk to God on your behalf. Let me tell you something. If you believe in Jesus, he is all that you need. I want you to repeat something with me. Jesus is all that I need. Repeat it with me. Jesus is all that I need. Jesus gives me direct access to God. Say that. Jesus gives me direct access to God. You don't need a saint. You don't need a lucky charm, a lucky rabbit's foot, a Turkish eye, un asabache. If you got it, leave it at the door before you leave. Get rid of all that stuff. All those things are tools, okay? These aren't just little gadgets and trinkets. They are tools that the devil uses To keep us from having direct access to God. You see, the Apostle Paul is telling us, you have something to be happy about. Be happy because now you have access to God. For thousands of years, the only way that the people of God could have access to God was through a high priest. Okay, but now Jesus came and Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the one that gives us direct access to God. Amen. We continue reading in verse 3, Romans 5, verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Another translation says, we rejoice in our suffering. If you stop there and give me your attention... It's easy to be excited when you hear that you have been justified. It's easy to be happy 
to be joyful, to rejoice when someone tells you, when the Apostle Paul tells us, now you have direct access to God. But now he's saying, rejoice in your suffering. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? What does this mean? What are you talking about, Willis? That just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. In our human mind and what the world has taught us and what we've learned in school and what we've learned from watching other people, from watching our parents, that's not what we've learned. That's not what the culture teaches us. You see, whenever I read stuff like this, it's hard to swallow. And if you've ever heard me teach before, you know that I like to dig deeper. I want to know who's saying this stuff. Who is it that's writing? I want to know who this person is. How does Paul know this to be true? Don't you agree? When you hear news, you just, it doesn't sit well. You want to know, is this messenger credible? And, and do any of you have a friend or a family member, a parent, maybe an uncle or someone in your life who's, who's a know-it-all? All right? Every time you try to talk about something, you try to talk about, you know, sports, or you're talking about anything, about a car, they know the kind of engine block that it has, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, this is a Mustang 5.0 GTO, and this year they only made so many of them, and this color, and the rims, and it's like blah, 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 blah. How, how do you know this? Have you ever even been in a Mustang? You know? Have you ever driven a Mustang? They have no idea. All right. I have one particular person in my life that I won't mention his name because it will come back to haunt me. All right. But man, every time I talk about I'm scared to talk about stuff around this guy because I just don't want to hear La Muela. I don't want to hear, you know, what he's going to talk about. I just don't want to hear. And so usually I'm, I, I talk a lot. And whenever I'm around this person, people are surprised about how quiet I am. You know, especially my wife. She's like, I can't believe it. You know, it's been two hours and you haven't said a word. And it's just like, babe, you know, I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear everything that he knows about everything. You see, because when I get information, I don't want to hear textbook. I don't want to hear, oh, this is what this book says. This is what this website says, what Wikipedia says. I want to hear from people that have lived it, people that are living it, people that are experiencing it. See, I have a friend of mine, what we call in Miami, uh, Umbadcero, all right? And what that means is a rafter, loosely translated, all right? This friend of mine, you may have pick up a little bit more this friend of mine he he lived in cuba for many years he was born in cuba with fidel communism all right and he was tired of eating lechon every day he was tired of eating pork every day he was tired of making lines to toilet paper so he can wipe himself he was tired of being oppressed he was tired of people telling him what to do and telling him telling him what he can't do and he risked his life all right jumped on an inner tube and floated to freedom and I'm growing up hearing about all these people coming from Cuba and like dead bodies in the water and sharks and sunburns and dehydration and passing out. And when I found out that this friend of mine was a real badcero and I had access to him, I'm like, bro, tell me about it. Tell me about the sharks. Tell me about the dead bodies. And we talked for hours. All right. We had two or three coladas while we were talking about this. And I was just salivating because this guy did it. I remember him pulling down his shirt and he had this nasty scar on his back from the sunburn that he got when he was floating to freedom. You see, he lived it. He experienced it. And so when I was able to hear it from the mouth of someone that experienced it, I believed it even more. See, when the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans, glory and tribulation, rejoice and suffering, man, it's because he lived it. 
Tribulation was his middle name. 2 Corinthians 11 says this, From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and not because he was smoking anything. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. And then he said, glory and tribulation. And so you know what? I have to believe that when he speaks those words under the direction of the Holy Spirit, we need to stop in our tracks and say, wait a minute. This has value. This man is speaking from experience. What Paul is telling us doesn't even make sense in our mind. That's just not how we deal with problems. But the reality is this, that every single one of us in this room has gone through a trial. There are many of you here today that are going through one right now. And all of us, at least in one moment in our life, have thought or have said, God, why me? Why now? And so this morning, the question that we need to answer is this. How do we overcome tribulation? The first thing that we need to do is we need to stop complaining. No one needs to teach us how to complain. See, the reason that that this doesn't make sense to stop complaining is because our natural reaction when trouble comes our way is to start crying like a little baby, to start whining. I remember, you know, my kids this week, I went, my wife's like, hey, get them yogurt. My kids eat like two or three yogurts every day, and I went, I got the wrong yogurt. All right, I'm sorry. I got the Mickey Mouse yogurt. I didn't get the Dora yogurt. They like the Dora yogurt. All right, those of you that have little kids know what I'm talking about. And so I get home with the Mickey Mouse thinking these kids love Mickey Mouse. They're watching him all day on TV. They're like going to Disney. I bring Mickey Mouse yogurt. We don't want Mickey Mouse yogurt. We want Dora yogurt. And I'm like, ah. I had no idea that the stuff inside was different. And many times we act the same way. You see, we wipe our tears away and we start saying stuff like this just isn't right. Life isn't supposed to be this way. I don't deserve it. This isn't fair. Life is meaningless. Not only do people cry and whine now, they're going on Facebook and putting, ah, I hate my job. Or, oh, I'm going crazy. Or, oh, why is this happening to me? Oh, I feel bad. And they put a picture like, you know. And, 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 you know, or they tweet the stuff or they put it on Instagram. And you know what the Apostle Paul would say to us today when we do this? The same thing that he said in Philippians. Do everything without complaining. Do everything without complaining. Some of you need to go home and instead of going on Facebook and talking about how much your life stinks is get eight and a half by 11 paper and put do everything without complaining. Maybe print a D in one piece of paper, an O in another piece of paper. Okay, get another paper just to to make a space. All right, and you put this all over your room. All right, you put it at work, you put it in your car, you put it on your fridge, in your fridge, all right, on the milk carton, do everything without complaining and 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 all kidding aside this doesn't mean that now you become a stoic christian and when you're going through a difficult moment in your life you know you just pretend that nothing's wrong you know they're amputating your leg oh it's it's okay praise the lord now i only have one leg one leg for jesus you know paul's not talking about that that that's not that's not even christian all right paul's not saying that we rejoice even though we're suffering he says rejoice in the suffering 
Christians, it's okay to be sad sometimes, okay? If you're sad, it's okay to be sad. The Bible tells us that when Job was struck down physically, his health was gone, his children were gone, all of his money and possessions were gone, they were wiped away. I mean, he had lost everything that he had. What does the Bible teach us? He ripped his clothes off, he fell to the ground. And the Bible says, in all these things, Job sinned not. Nowadays, in our Christian tradition, if we see someone doing something like this, we're like, he's not a Christian. Look at him. He's on the floor crying because he lost his wife and his kids and his house and lost everything. If he was a Christian, he'd be jumping around. No, it doesn't mean to have joy because of it, but in the midst of it. You know what Job was doing in that moment when he he threw himself to the ground? He was surrendering to God. He was telling God, God, not my will, but your will be done. The reason that we whine and moan so much is because it's not what we want. We got the Mickey Mouse yogurt instead of the Dora yogurt. You know why, God? And we need to trust God in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our situation. The reason that most of us have never experienced God's glory in the midst of our tribulation is because we love to complain. We love feeling sorry for ourselves. We love the attention that we get when we tell all of our friends what's going on in our life. We love the attention that we get when we start telling people that we're having a crummy day on Facebook and everybody's like saying, oh, you know, I hope you get better. Here's this little smiley face and a heart and a kiss for you. I hope you get better. And in the middle of this tribulation, in the middle of the struggle that you're going through, there's so much complaining. There's so much noise coming from everywhere else that we don't have a moment to turn to God and listen to the voice of God. When trials come our way, we need to stop complaining. And the second thing we need to do is we need to trust God. When trials come our way, we need to do what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 46:10: Be still and know that I am God. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your test, in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through, be still and know that he is God. We need to understand that God is greater that God is stronger. We sing these songs, but do we really understand and believe what we're saying? We need to really believe that if God is for us, nothing could stand against us. In the book of Acts chapter 6, Paul, the guy that wrote the stuff that, that we're reading in Romans 5, him and his friend Silas, his partner in ministry, they're in the city of Philippi. And they've casted a demon out of a girl. They're telling people about Jesus. They're helping people. They're loving people. They're caring for people. They're telling people there is hope. And you know what happened to them? They were stripped naked. They were beaten up by a crowd of people. And then they were dragged. After they were done beating the snot out of them, they were dragged into prison. And some of you are thinking, oh, they probably went straight to the infirmary in the prison. No, no, no. The prison is not like the prisons that we have today with human rights and TV, cable. They're watching the heat game tonight, you know, with weights. And you get your GED and your PhD while you're in prison. They took them to a dungeon, okay? And, and if that doesn't even sound bad enough, people went to this place to die, all right? And they were taken to the innermost cell. And they were chained to the floor, hands and feet, Okay, and there's no bathrooms in this place, so the people that died there before, their bodies are probably still there. The poop that they pooped the night before is still there. The rats, the nastiness, the smell, everything that happened in that dungeon, the the whole picture of this situation is for this to be the worst place ever. And Paul and Silas, for doing the will of God, are chained to the ground. 
buck naked. It's the first time I've ever said that right. I've always said butt naked, but they told me that it's not butt naked, it's buck naked. So back to the message, okay? They're, they're buck naked, all right? Bleeding, broken scars, broken ribs. And in the middle of that, they don't say, God, why? They start crying out to God and worshiping God and, and glorifying God in the midst of their trouble. In the midst of, their, of their, one of the most difficult moments in their life, they're trusting God. And, and that's what this series is about. It's about becoming more like Jesus. How can we become more like Jesus? When he was hanging on the cross for doing nothing, what did he say? Forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. How can we become more like that? We can't even take someone honking at us at a red light. All right? You're on your phone texting and then you get mad because the guy behind you honks his horn. That happened to me on my way here today. All right? So, how can we become like that? You see, these guys, their flesh was broken. They were hurting. They were bleeding. Their ribs are broken. This place smelled worse than anything that they had ever smelled in their life. They were uncomfortable. But the Bible teaches us that despite this, they sought the Lord. They worshiped the Lord. And this is what Acts 16 says. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. All right, not just their chains, not just their door. The foundation of the entire place where they were was shaken. Everyone's doors were broken loose. Their chains were broken. Everybody's chains were broken. The Bible says that the boss, like the main dude there at the prison, the warden gave his life to Jesus that night. All because these men in the midst of that trial glorified God. People are watching us, guys. You're going through a difficult moment in your life. You're going through a good moment in your life. Your family, your friends, the people that you work with, your neighbors, they are watching. Paul and Silas were beaten up in the center of town. Then they were dragged through that prison and all the prisoners saw them. And I'm sure when they were worshiping God, they were mocking them. If they mocked Jesus on the cross, you think they didn't mock them in that prison? All those crooks and thieves and murderers that were in there, they're mocking them. You're worshiping God. You should be cursing God in the midst of that. And the foundations were broken. And because of their obedience, everyone reaped the benefit. There's some of you here today that you have family members and friends that are far from God. And you're like, God, when are you going to save them? God, when are they going to stop doing drugs? God, when are they going to stop cheating on their wife or their husband? And God is saying, when are you going to glorify me in the midst of the situation that you're in? I want to use you. God wants to use us to reach the people that are around us. But we are so busy that we don't allow him to work in our lives. We're praying for everyone else. And the one that we should be praying for is ourselves. We want our husbands to change. We want our wives to change, our children to change. And God wants to change us. God wants to start a revival in our hearts. God wants to start a revolution inside of us. But we're so busy. We have so much noise that we don't listen to the voice of God. Romans 5 says glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. It produces patience. And when you stop complaining, you develop patience. And once you've developed patience, patience produces character. See, isn't a patient person someone that we admire? I don't know about you, but sometimes I go to Publix and I see these little kids going crazy. And I'm like, if this is one of my kids, I'd rip their head off. And you see these parents like, 
please, little Johnny, be quiet, little Johnny. I'm thinking, like, where do these people come from? All right? We admire patient people, men that are patient, that have character, that stand there for what is right. We admire that. So patient produces character. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is the promise of God for those that wait on him, not those that complain to him, not those that fuss to him, not those that are always worried about their will, but are saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. We need to stop complaining. We need to trust God. And number three, this is so important. We need to let it transform us. We need to let this situation transform our life. After that experience, do you think Paul and Silas were ever the same? You think that Paul and Silas, after those chains were broken, after they got the life beat out of them in front of everyone in the town, demoralized, stripped of their clothes, and they're in the middle of this prison, and God shows up and rescues everyone, people come to Christ. Do you think their lives were ever the same? They had no idea what God was going to do. They could have very well died in that dungeon, and that thought probably crossed their mind. But they allowed that moment, that situation, that circumstance to transform their life. We can't just get through our problems and our trials and our experiences in life, and when they're not good or it's not something that we enjoy, that we would just say, Woof, I'm glad that's over. I hope I ne- that never happens again. You know, woof, I overcame that. I'm glad this, I hope this never happens again. We need to allow moments like this in our life to transform us. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is to give up. It's to not trust your father and look at that beautiful reef. You know, that's not what, what life to be safe. You know, stay in the boat. Don't trust your dad. You know, your dad's crazy. You shouldn't be. Some of you probably thought that. How can you take a four-year-old and a six-year-old to 20, 30 feet of water? It's like, you know what? Their dad was there. And he was going to take care of them. He was going to watch over them. And when my son trusted his father, he enjoyed what he wanted the most. And so many of us are not enjoying what God has prepared for us because we do not trust him. We're conforming to the pattern of this world which says panic, freak out. Go to the shrink, drink this, take this pill when you're going through this, take this shot, smoke this joint, go cheat on your wife because she's not pleasing you. That's what the world tells us. And God says, don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, to the rumors of this world, to what the TV is telling you, to what the websites are telling you, to what you've seen your parents do, to what you've seen your friends and your brothers and your sisters do. Don't conform any longer to these things, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test. When you allow yourself to be transformed, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, today's Father's Day, and and, and I was so excited about Father's Day. I have three beautiful kids. I I showed you their pictures, and, and, and I love to talk about them. Sometimes I feel I talk about them too much. And this morning, Bob... You know, I got that call at four in the morning and I left my house as quiet as possible. And I'm thinking, man, it's Father's Day. The first thing I wanted to do today was hug and kiss my kids. And here I am driving pitch dark to the office. And, and I'm like, man, I really want to see my kids. And I, I didn't think I was going to see them. And, and we're having our, our morning meeting here. And I hear my kids backstage. And all I could think about is I just want to go kiss my wife. I want to kiss my kids. You know, 
I, I want them to wish me happy Father's Day. I want to see their smiles. And, um, and, you know, Father's Day is an awesome day for me. It's also a sad day. Because there's one thing that I wish I could do today is buy a gift for my dad, is to kiss my dad, is to have lunch with my dad. And I can't because it's been a couple years now that he's gone to be with God. And, man, th- that has been one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to go through in my life. See, yesterday it was my sister's baby shower, and all I could think about, the whole baby shower, I didn't even enjoy it that much, and I tried to pretend and be silly and stuff like that. All I could think about, man, I wish my dad was here. I wish he could, he could see her, and he, he could meet her baby, you know, and he could be here, and I felt a little awkward there, and I'm driving home. It was in Miami Springs, and, and I'm driving through Hialeah to get to my house in Miami Lakes, and, and I'm going up 12th Avenue, a street that I've gone up and ridden my bike down my whole life, and... And uh, I passed 29th Street, those of you that know the area. And, and um, in the middle of the street, I abruptly break on the car. My wife freaks out. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm like hey, guys, I want to take you somewhere where my dad used to take me. And I made a U-turn, and I drove to this little bakery, little rinky-dink bakery, um, where my dad used to take me all the time. And he would sit me on the counter of this bakery and drink coffee and buy me un pastelito de guayaba. And uh, I took my kids there, my three kids. I had no idea I was going to preach today. And, and I took this picture of them there. And uh, I used to sit there. Um, and uh, it was awesome to put my kids up there. And, uh, and to relive those moments that I had with him. You know, and um, God gives us moments in our life. Moments that could break us or moments that can make us. Moments that we could overcome or moments where we can be defeated. You see, when my dad was on his deathbed, I prayed harder than I had ever prayed in my entire life. And you know what? God didn't do what I wanted him to do. I wanted God to heal my dad. I wanted to be with my dad right now. I wanted my dad to be sitting right there listening to me preach today. And he's not here. God didn't listen to me. And I'm a pastor. I've been preaching since I was a little kid. I've tried to do everything right. And my dad at a young age left. You know, and, and it was, it's hard. It's hard now. But my dad's death changed me. It made me a better man. It made me a better father. It made me a better pastor. I didn't allow that moment in my life to destroy me. And so many times when people go through a difficult moment in life, that moment is, marks their life forever. And they're sad and they're depressed and, oh, I'm never going to celebrate Father's Day again because I lost my dad. And there's a lot of people today, they're just going to stay home or spend the whole day in front of a tombstone. But instead, if in the midst of our tribulation, if we can say, God, I trust you, I don't understand you, but I'm putting my trust and my hope and my faith and everything that I am in you. He can transform your life in that situation. He could change your life. Allow the moment that you're going through or the moment that you're going to go through or the moment that you went through to transform your life and not mark you as someone who's hurt, who's wounded, who's broken. God can do it. God wants to to break that prison gate. He wants those chains to fall. And he just doesn't want to set you free. He wants to set everyone around you free. 
the people you work with, the people that you live around, the people in your home. God wants to do the revival and the change in your life. Glory and tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. It produces patience. Patience produces character. Character produces hope. And after the trial's over, now your character produces hope. And next time you go through a difficult moment in your life, you know that God is on your side. Not like the guy that I know that because he reads books and he Googles stuff and he loves to watch TV, he knows everything about everything. But because you lived it, like the Batsero in the middle of the ocean, you lived it. You experienced it like Paul and Silas in that prison. Another way that we let it transform us is that we need to practically stop and think that there is other people right now in this very moment that have it way worse than you got it. And it's to say, God, you know what? I may not have everything I want and everything that I put on my goals for 2013 or, or my entire life. But man, I got it pretty good. Stop and think how much God has blessed you and you already have. Be grateful in every circumstance that you're in. God wants to do a work in your life. And many times it doesn't happen because we limit God. We're like, this is, this is as much that God can do. You know, we're 2013, you know, those people, the Bibles, the stories, they exaggerate. This pastor exaggerates. No, God's limit is endless. That's why I love this song that we sang today. I'm going to ask the band to come out. We're going to sing it, sing it again. Spirit, lead me where my faith is without borders. Let me walk upon the water. It's like, don't let me swim on the water, God. Don't throw me a floaty. You know, let me walk on the water. You know what the world says about me and about us? You're crazy. There's got to be limits. There's no way that you could walk on water. And Jesus says, yes, you can do it. In my name, you can do it. You're going through a difficult situation in your life right now. And Jesus is looking and he's saying, hey, you know what? If you just look for one second, if one second you trust your father, you look into the water. You'll see the victory. You'll see the glory. You'll see the reward. I'll put a smile on your face. I'll turn your sorrow into gladness. That's what scripture says. In Corinthians it says this. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. No mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You have no idea what God wants to do in your life. Not tomorrow. Right now. You're going through a difficult moment in your life. You have no idea what God wants to do in your life right now. I had never seen my son freak out like he freaked out on Friday. And I just was lucky and said, buddy, just put your eyes in the water. Just check it out. All right, this is us at the end. Mark, if you could find the picture of me and him in the water real quick. We had a great time. We snorkeled. We were happy. And when we got on the boat, check out what he said. He didn't say, oh, I want to go to Disney World. He didn't say, oh, can we go play Wii? No, he said, you know what? He said, I want to do it again. And I said, all right. You know, when we come back in a couple months, we'll do it again. He goes, no, I want to do it again right now. I want to experience that. I want to experience that victory, that beautiful thing that I saw, that amazing experience again. And it may sound silly. This is just the kids snorkeling. But you know what? So many of us are being so silly. When we have such an amazing God, such an awesome God that we're living the way that we're living. 
We're living ordinary lives and we're created to live extraordinary life. That's what the life that God created you and I to live, to live a life that's in victory, to live a life that has joy. When everyone else is sad, when everyone else is looking at the Joneses, when everyone else is looking at Fox business and oh my gosh, what's going on in the world? Why are things going so crazy? What's going to happen? What's going to happen with my kids? I don't care. I put my hope and my trust in Jesus. Spirit, lead me where my faith is without borders. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, I I was singing that song this morning, tears coming down my face because, man, I limit God so much. He wants to do so much more in my life and so many times my humanity, my sinfulness limits him. And wouldn't it be awesome if all of us together, the children of God today, would stand up and give him the best Father's Day ever and say, God, you know what? I'm going to trust you with everything that I got. I'm not going to limit you anymore. Lead me lead me, guide me, ask me to do whatever you want me to do, and I'm going to do it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else. What does it say? Will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. I'm going to invite you to stand up. We're going to worship God. We're going to sing that part of the song and pray, cry out to God, Spirit, lead me. There's some of you today that need to walk on that water. All right? Just like I was a couple days ago in the middle of that deep blue sea. You know, I could have drowned there. The sharks could have eaten me up. You feel like, man, I got a shark on my leg right now. It's taking me down. And you need God to lift you up. God can do it. He can do it today. We're going to sing. And then I'm going to invite you to come up here and we're going to pray and God is going to give us the victory. Amen. God is going to give us the victory. Amen. Because Jesus is all.